This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is North Dakota U.S. Senator Heidi Heitkamp. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with North Dakota Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp next. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about the biggest challenge facing humanity, feeding a growing population. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is a six-point commitment to make crops more efficient, to rescue more farmland, to help biodiversity flourish, to reach and empower smallholders, to help people stay safe, and to look after every worker throughout the entire supply chain network. One Planet, Six Commitments. Learn more at www.goodgrowthplan.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Major agriculture decisions are before the U.S. Congress at a time when the political cloud of gridlock bears down on the nation. North Dakota U.S. Senator Heidi Heitkamp says there's no reason elected officials shouldn't do their job. You know, I think that everybody's kind of trying to decide whether we're at that spot, given the elections, where no one wants to take any kind of risk and make any kind of decision. I think that's irresponsible. I mean, we've got almost a year left. I think we ought to be doing the job. There's a reason why we have a uh, 13% approval rating and, and why we're basically seeing outsiders do much better than people who are in Washington, D.C. It's because we're not doing our job. And, you know, let's have the debates that we need to have. Let's fix the problems that we all know we have. And let's, let's um, move forward uh, for this country. And, and I think, you know, the, the patience of the American people is wearing very, very thin. And, you know, we have ongoing challenges in rural America that go unrecognized and I think unappreciated. And, you know, given the role that rural America has in new wealth creation for our economy and in feeding our country and the world, I think um, these things should be higher priorities. What about the timing and the process of filling the vacancy on the Supreme Court? Has that helped the situation or made it worse? I think it's, I, I think it has highlighted the situation because immediately what they said is no, 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 we're not going to do what we need to do because we have this election coming. And, you know, if, if you talk to the American people, number one, they tell you presidential elections are way too long. This started way too long and it polarizes everything and now we're going to stop doing our work. Now, I, I think the president's going to nominate someone and, and if, if, if on our side, what we see is people trying to not get anything done because the president, they're not moving the nomination. I'm going to oppose that. I think that's the wrong way to approach this. But I also oppose not considering, not having a hearing and considering up and down the presidential nomination. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that, that the person that the president nominates is somebody we've seen before, we've confirmed before, that um, has received a hearing, that has been vetted, and I certainly hope that's the person he nominates. We expect this nomination is going to come fairly soon because the longer we wait, the longer that process goes, the, um, the more it's going to be difficult to get this piece behind us and move forward on legislation. Senator, an agriculture and a consumer piece of legislation converge around a Vermont law with regard to mandatory labeling of foods that contain ingredients that may have come from genetically enhanced crops. Uh, this has been discussed, this has been approved in the House, and is pending toward the Senate, maybe action early in this week. 
what are the what are the sides that make this issue polar, even for your state? Well, at any time you tell consumers, just trust us, you don't need to know, they automatically get suspicious. And so if, if in fact, the discussion that we're having is that you don't need to know and we're not going to tell you, you can't win that fight with consumers. I mean, trust me, I, I used to do consumer protection. I have a pretty good idea of how people look at things. Um, but on the other side, you also cannot have 50, you know, and potentially even sub the state and local, local and, and county governments deciding how they're going to label products. That's just not a formula that's successful in terms of interstate commerce. So this needs to be addressed. Um, one of the concerns that I have is that um, we're up against a deadline here. And if we don't come to consensus and get a consensus that works for the manufacturers, that works for the commodity groups, people won't get everything that they want, but also can be signed by the president, we, we have thrown this into chaos. And so we're working very hard in encouraging our leadership on the committee to come up with a bill that can, in fact, pass the, the Senate. What I will tell you is I don't think that I, I know that the House bill can't pass the Senate. Um, the question is uh, where we're at, what's going to happen with the Roberts bill. We don't know yet what's going to be presented for the mark because um, uh, we've had votes and had to delay the consideration of the bill in the Ag Committee, but we're hopeful that those negotiations will be ongoing. If the Vermont law is approved and other states have similar legislation, uh, similar rules, how would that affect sugar beet growers in your state? Well, it'd be horrible. I think there's there's a whole lot of concern about what's going to happen with sugar anyway, whether it is a sugar program, whether it is um, you know a campaign against uh, sugar as an additive in products. I mean, we've got some some real interesting challenges, and obviously, some of the manufacturers have decided that they'd like to tell people that they're they're using cane sugar, which isn't in any way enhanced. And and we think that's wrongheaded. We need to get the manufacturers back on the page with the growers, um, basically defending the product that we grow. With that said, that's going to take some extra work. And what I've been telling all of my commodity groups when they come in, I said, we can fix this. We can fix, you know, a labeling. And, and, you know, you kind of said if it's allowed to go through, it already is Vermont law. This would be preemption, which is awfully hard to get me to vote yes on a preemption bill, but I'm willing to look at a form of preemption so that we can enhance interstate commerce and, and assist with, with um, you know, nationwide labeling. But, but, I, but I will tell you, we've got a bigger problem with our consumer groups, and we've got to start educating on what this is and why this is perfectly safe. Every group, I mean, FDA, USDA, and EPA all say the exact same thing. They have studied this. There is nothing wrong with this. This is safe for consumers. I tell people I'd feed it to my grandchildren if I had any, um, but, but yet that message doesn't get through, and what people hear is they're trying to hide something. Um, they're trying to prevent us from knowing. And when they, when they hear that message, as opposed to this is safe and we'll tell you why, we'll tell you why this has actually reduced your food costs overall, we'll tell you why this is important for global hunger, we'll tell you why this is important for water conservation and for the environment. I mean, we can make all those arguments, but we're not making those arguments because we're playing defense on this issue. We need to start talking about, with pride, what we grow and why we grow it the way we do. It appears to me that of the label, the money that will be spent 
and the Corn Refiners Association say it will be billions of dollars more. We only change the label. We don't change the food. Well, and it goes back to everybody's throwing around numbers, and everybody's talking about this. The, the concern that people have is not just this label. What happens when it's the next issue that they want labeling? And one of the things that I've suggested is that now with technology the way it is, you know, on package can't be the only way that we communicate to consumers what we're doing. There's a way for consumers to get access to that information even before they purchase the information. It's not just what they can do with smartphones. In fact, I suggested to one group that was in that you put an iPad at the end of every aisle in the supermarket. People take their product. They want to know what's in it. You know, you, you scan the code, let them read what's in it. Then they can decide whether they're going to buy it or not. But that doesn't happen overnight. And I think when people say, oh, this label thing that it happened overnight in the 1990s i was on the trade and the environment policy advisory committee for the ustr and we talked about labeling in europe gmo labeling in europe so this is not a new issue we've 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 maybe ignored it to our peril as a concern for consumers and we need to get back on the side of consumers um, by basically educating on what our products are to wrap this uh, this portion of the discussion up there, what are the cornerstones that will be the deal makers or the deal breakers along the way from the Agriculture Committee to the Senate floor to the compromise legislation back to either chamber? I think that a deal breaker would be anything that on the pro-labeling side automatically in a very short period of time requires on-package labeling. I think that's a deal breaker on that side. On on the other side, I think it's something that simply says, we hear your concerns, we'll do something about it on a voluntary basis, you know, come check in with us maybe in a couple of years, but give us blanket preemption forever against any kind of labeling. I don't think you're going to be able to sell that. And, and you know, if you want to know what I don't think you can sell in the, in the Senate, it's, it's the House bill. But, you know, I could be wrong. So we'll we'll see how this all goes. I think everybody's trying to find solutions, especially those of us who work in farm country um, and for farm country. But but I will tell you this: I don't want simply to say I voted for that bill, you know, and and did my job. My job is to find a solution that achieves the result for my consumers and for my farmers. Some might suggest that a voluntary label for GMO might also be an opportunity for country of origin labeling. Do you have words there? <laughs> you, might, you might know that I, um, I raised this issue um, with an amendment that is now pending on, on the bill. I'm, I'm still a firm believer um, in voluntary uh, uh, labeling for uh, country of origin. We want for sure that to be trade compliant, and that's what our amendment provides, that, that um, this voluntary system would be trade compliant. Uh, actually, Canada has a voluntary system for labeling. Um, and so I think if we're going to talk about consumers' right to know, it's a legitimate place to have that discussion. You're also looking at opening the borders for Cuba and expanding trade. You have legislation there. I you do. have a co-sponsor. Uh, it seems as though we're discussing more and more about trade with Cuba. Are we making progress, and how would your bill change that? Well, what my bill would do, the biggest challenge in, in us selling our very, very high-quality products, um, including uh, Arkansas rice and North Dakota peas and lentils into uh, Cuba, is they have to pay us cash. We can't finance that. Um, and we can't finance it with USDA programs, but we also can't finance it with American 
private dollars. That's an anomaly of the exception that we got for agricultural trade, which is kind of ironic. But now this exception that we received is now limiting our ability to trade the way a lot of other products manufacturing. You can sell a tractor and finance it privately, but you can't sell a bushel of grain and finance it privately. And so my bill would simply say, if you have a banker or, you know, somebody else who wants to um, uh, basically sell on credit to Cubans, you ought to be able to do that. It doesn't risk any taxpayer dollars, but it does enhance our ability to, to trade with Cuba. And it's not the end-all or be-all. I'd, I'd like to remind people Cuba is, is a very nice market. It's in proximity to the United States, but it is, to me, symbolic. I believe that trade is something that we need to be protecting every day for our um, American ag producers. It's the path to the future. During this week, four major commodity groups are meeting in New Orleans, and each one of those, corn, soy, wheat, and uh, grain sorghum, would like to be able to trade more globally. Other commodity groups would really like to see the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement ratified by the U.S. Congress. Senator, what are the pros and the cons that you see now to this deal? And have you made a decision on where you stand yet? I haven't had a chance to actually sit down because once um, Senator McConnell announced that he's not going to advance TPP, the evaluation of TPP kind of fell to the to the back burner. But I will tell you this: I supported TPA. Um, I believe that that if we are going to be successful in rural America and if we're going to be successful as a country, we need to be ready to trade, and we need to understand that America has some of the lowest trade barriers. And against that are some of the highest trade barriers in the countries that we're looking at. And so we need to equalize that and give our, our commodity groups and our manufacturers access. Now, uh, what you will hear is, uh, is this opens us up to a one-way relationship. Um, I've, I've long been uh, um, basically a skeptic on investor-state dispute settlements. I think that's going to be a huge problem for us as we look at TTIP. It's the reason why TTIP didn't go forward before. So what we need to do is we need to evaluate that. But I, but I will tell you from, from my standpoint um, that we need to lower trade barriers in other countries so that we can move our commodities to those other countries. And I share the concern of those commodity groups in, in getting something done that gives us access to those markets. This is another trade agreement that does not include currency values, and you've been outspoken about them. Well, and, and I'll tell you, currency manipulation, um, it, you know, number one, you know, somebody else's monetary policy is another person's currency manipulation, Right. And so, so uh, you know, as we look at monetary policy, we need to be very, very careful. And, and as I said to uh, to Janet Yellen when she appeared in front of the banking committee, you know, I talked to her about commodity prices and said, you know, I'm concerned about currency manipulation, but I'm also concerned about not eliminating the opportunity for our country to utilize a tool in monetary policy that could be legitimate without distorting, um, you know, the relationship. Um, I am very, still very concerned, but I also believe that currency manipulation is something that can be done by Congress outside of the realm of these trade agreements. You know, I had, I had a, um, a labor group in who was very disappointed in my vote for TPA, and when I talked to him, you know, I said, number one, you're manufacturing things you want to export, so let's, let's 
put that out that they're, you know, provided we have a level playing field and that this isn't a race to the bottom on labor costs and on labor standards, this could be beneficial. Now, I'm not going to argue about whether that's true, you know, true in the TPP or not, but, but, but I will tell you that my biggest concern about currency manipulation is with China and China is not part of TPP. And if we're going to deal with China and deal with, you know, um, these countries that would manipulate currencies so that their exports have have a uh, inherent advantage or their Im- exports have an inherent advantage, we need to do that outside these trade agreements. And you know, I've looked at a number of proposals and intend to um, continue to study and figure out what's the best way to give our country the tools that they need to prevent our exports from being disadvantaged by currency manipulation. Senator, you worked hard along with others to bring the 2014 bill to fruition, and times were better when you were writing it than they are now. Do you believe that the programs that were in place are now adequate, and are they being administered in a way that can help your farmers through this very very lean time in the business? Well, we have some glitches in implementation of of the farm bill. Some are related to how we count yields because of um, the failure of farmers to submit their yield data, and that has disadvantaged them in various counties because this is a county-by-county determination. And so we're trying to work through those. We have found USDA to be very responsive. Um, Don't always give us the answer, but certainly engage with us on on um, implementation issues. My greater concern about the Farm Bill is what you saw when they tried to, um, when they made a run at crop insurance. Remember, you mm-hmm. know, on the, I think it was on the highway bill, they made a run at crop insurance and so we, we had to pull it off on the highway bill. It was in the budget package. And so we, we see already the alignment of interests against the Farm Bill, whether it is kind of hardcore urban conservative people who don't believe that government has a role at all in the farm bill or whether it is um, liberal groups who don't like the way modern farming practices are are done and and so they want to reduce so we, we we're in this vice of opposition and we need to keep our coalition together and and so i think i think i've i've started meeting already with my commodity groups and my farmers telling them let's get ready for the next farm bill tell us what you need let's let's um, make sure that we're on top of it especially given the pricing um uh, challenges that we have right now with low commodity prices. Senator, we've made progress in the Senate on child nutrition, but it's still lacking in the House. What do you hope for that, and can that be accomplished in this election year? Well, what I hope is we were able to fashion a compromise that everybody was satisfied with over here when no one thought we'd get there. Um, does it go as far as the House bill? No. I hope that they don't use this as a political um, issue and that they simply say this is much better than what we had. We 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 have a responsibility, and you know we don't agree with everything that's in it. But the Senate bill is great. In fact, every Senate bill that I vote for here, I think the House should pass unanimously. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I hope that they take up the Senate bill and pass our our compromise on child nutrition. Senator Highcamp, it's a joy to have you with yeah. us uh, on Open Mic. It's Open Mic, and it's an open forum. Well, and one thing that I want to talk about is, you know, the highest rates of poverty in this country are in rural America. We've enjoyed some good years on the farm. Uh, high commodity prices, low dollar values have been extraordinarily beneficial. And I think sometimes um, history uh, gets forgotten and our past gets forgotten. It is really important that we 
take a look at what those challenges are and how we're going to meet those challenges working together. And one of those is doing rural development, providing opportunities for value added, taking a look at advanced manufacturing for ag products, you know, expanding our, our domestic markets for agricultural products. But the two things that get left behind, left behind when people talk about this is research and development, which has given us the advanced opportunities that we've had. We need to continue those, especially as it relates to diseases. And, you know, wheat is, is always a challenge for us, especially when it's wet. We see vomitoxin, rust. I mean, I can go through all of the, the challenges, but we need to continue our center of excellence in our land-grant colleges as it relates to research, and we can't forget that. And the second is trade. We need to enhance trade. We need to look at opening up markets, even if they're smaller markets like Cuba. We can't walk away from any market for our ag products. We have to be competing everywhere for markets. And so the three things I would tell you is rural development is critical to keep people on the farm so that these farms don't get bigger, that we actually um, have a, have environments for family farmers. The second is that we've got to continue to innovate and we've got to continue to research. And the greatest the greatest gift the government has ever given to um, American agriculture, I think, has been the land-grant colleges. And finally, we've got to trade. We've got to trade, trade, trade. Our thanks to U.S. Senator Heidi Heitkamp, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta, See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Allen.